Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Well, today we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. And um, I don't know about you, but for me, one of the things that strengthens my faith the most is hearing what God is doing across our country and across our world uh, through his followers who are bringing heaven to earth and who are bringing his kingdom and extending his kingdom across the world. And so we um, are really blessed today to have Pastor Neville Naden, who is going to be sharing with us today about the Bush Church Aid Society and what God is doing through them and in communities across Australia. So why don't you join me in welcoming Neville as he comes to the stage. And so I thought rather than um, reading out a, a bio about Neville, I'd ask him a few questions just so we can get to know him a little bit. So um, Neville, tell us a bit about where you were born and raised and also um, how you became a Christian and who the Christian influences in your life were as you grew up. Yeah, that's a lot of questions, eh? <laughs> But where I was born, I was born in Gilgander, raised around Peak Hill, Dubbo area, for those who know central New South Wales. Um, I came to faith in Christ when I was about 17. Um, simple, there was a group of Bible college students that came to Dubbo. We had billeted some of them out um, and they came to preach. I saw in them something that I didn't see in any of my friends. There was a genuine love and concern that spoke to me. Um, and I believe that God was doing a work in my heart, calling me to himself, and I responded. Um, and so that's the way I was saved. That was about 17. Uh, the biggest influence of my life, however, was my grandfather. Um, and I grew up around Christian influence, not necessarily um, in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was neither uh, Christian, my mum was neither Christian, uh, until they were uh, much older in life, I had the opportunity of leading my dad to the Lord when he was about 63, 64. And he has since been promoted to glory. Um, and so uh, he had seen in his children uh, the transformation, um, their transformed life that the gospel brought about for them. And one day we were down at uh, Kudamundra and he says, I want you to come for a ride with me. And then he explained to me, he says, you know, he says, I've seen a lot of you guys come to faith in Christ. And he says, I don't know what you've got. He says, but whatever you've got, I want. And so we were able to open the scriptures with him and show him from the Bible that uh, God was doing a work of grace in his life. And we took him to passages like Ephesians 1, that he was chosen before the foundation of the world. So there's election. And the choosing was by God's grace. And so God doing a work of grace in his life, um, which allowed him then to respond to that call upon his life. And we were able to pray with him and then he was, he was saved. But my grandfather, getting back to my grandfather, my grandfather um, worked in an organisation called the Aboriginal Inland Missions of Australia. And it was interesting that he worked during a time where he wasn't allowed to have a clerical title. Um, so they called them native workers. Um, and so uh, my grandfather grew up in that situation. And so he had raised all his kids um, uh, under the sound of the gospel. Not all of them um, responded uh, to the gospel, which tells me that God is the author of salvation and not us as individuals. 
um, God calls us to himself and then we respond to his call. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's my story. Can you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming an Anglican minister and then more recently working with the Bush Church Aid Society? People think I'm a little bit screwed up in terms of my theology because I worked in the Brethren Assemblies, I've worked with the Uniting Church, I've worked with the Baptist Church, and now I'm working in the Anglican Church, playing around the Anglican Centre. Um, but, and I'm here with you guys. So, um, but it's not that I'm screwed up with my theology, so I really want to tell you that. It gives me a greater appreciation why people believe what they believe. And so as I move around in different... Uh, denominations. But how I came to be an Anglican, um, I started off in the Brethren Assemblies and uh, Open Brethren and so we were given some really good teaching uh, in the Brethren Assemblies and uh, went off to college. It was an Aboriginal college and I reckon I learnt more there than I learnt at the other colleges that I've studied at. And uh, I studied at Morling uh, College, which is a Baptist college in Sydney, as well as Moore College, which is the Anglican College in Sydney. And I believe that I learnt more at the Indigenous College because it was at a time when I was most impressionable. Um, I was young in my faith, didn't know much about the Christian walk, and these guys just blew my mind in terms of the, how they understood the Bible. And uh, so went to the, some of those colleges, um, and then from the Brethren work, um, we then applied for a job in Sydney, in the Anglican Church in Sydney. Um, we were, we uh, were successful in getting that. And so that was my introduction to Anglicanism. And I thought, yeah, I could work in this context. Um, and so we've been there now for, I don't know, 25 years, I suppose, and uh, continue to serve there. And you've got a wife and kids and grandkids? Yeah, I, I do. I've got a wife. I've uh, been married for 39 years love of my life um, and she has been there to support me the, the whole way through. I've got three, three adult kids and uh, my eldest one is Jamie. Jamie's married to Glenn. Glenn works for the uh, Cessnock Jail. He's a correctional officer down there. He's one of the overseers there and uh, they have three little ones. I love my grandkids. Um, you do more for your grandkids than you ever do for your own kids, I can tell you. I remember visiting them, in, I'll tell you a little story, I remember visiting them in Dubbo, it was the middle of winter, Cathy and I were there, and they had no heating in the house, and I said to Cathy, I said, we've got to do something about heating, so we go out and we buy them two of those gas heaters, you know, where you plug it into a port in the wall, and uh, took them back, set them up, and my son-in-law comes up and he says, if we didn't have these kids, you wouldn't have bought those heaters, today." I said, you're exactly right, <laughs> and I said, you're exactly right. And so that's Jamie and Glenn, and then we, our eldest boy is Nathaniel, easy assistant minister at an Anglican church in South Tamworth, uh, St Peter's Anglican Church. He's married to Pip, who's a school teacher. He studied at Moore College. Pip used to teach at uh, St Andrew's Cathedral School. Uh, and then our youngest boy is Jonathan, and uh, he's a paramedic uh, working down in the Wollongong area. And he's married to Amy, who's a registered nurse. And they welcomed their first child back in March, a little cruise, cruise Naden, uh, there you go. I said to him, I said, you should give him the middle name Zen. He can be Cruise N Naden. <laughs> uh, but that didn't go down too well, so. I said in the first service, it sounds like the name of a professional soccer player. Yeah. He corrected me and said. Rugby league. Rugby, sorry, rugby. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's, that's my family. Um, all of them love the Lord. You know, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he gets old, they will not depart from it. And I don't know how many times I get people coming to me and asking, what have you done right? From the time that they were born, we were teaching them about God. Right through and being consistent with that. People who ask such questions come to us when their kids are either teenagers or a little bit further down the track and they wonder why they struggle. So young mums and dads who've got little ones, hey, put in the hard yards now because it'll benefit you down the track. Um, yeah, it's, it's been phenomenal, the ride that we've been on with our kids. Thanks for sharing with us, Neville. Over to you. No worries. <laughs> Folks, before we begin, I want to do an acknowledgement of country. And uh, I know that you guys would have heard many of these, but I'm hoping that uh, this one might be um, good for you to, to look at. So I want to acknowledge the triune God, the creator of heaven and earth, and his ownership of all things. We recognise that he gave stewardship of these lands upon which we meet to the First Nations people of this country. In his sovereignty, he has allowed other people groups to migrate to these shores. We acknowledge the cultures of our First Nations people and are thankful for the community that we share together now. We pay our respects to the Awabakal people and their elders, leaders, both past, present and future, and those rising up to become leaders. Friends, I want to, uh, in saying that, I want to uh, share with you for a few minutes from the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, and we, I want us to consider the idea that the gospel that we have is a gospel for all people. Sometimes I go to churches and all you see in the congregation are Europeans, and you, more so out in the country, you see a lot of that. In the city, you see a multicultural uh, congregation beginning to take place. But let me challenge you and let me uh, just say that the God that I serve wants a multicultural, multi ethnic, multilingual church. That's what he had in mind right from the very beginning of time. And that's what Matthew tells us in the Great Commission. He says, And the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My friends, I don't know if you realise this, but right back in the beginning of time, God had looked ahead in time and he saw a people for himself. And he put into place this blueprint about how he was going to um, reach people for himself. And it was the, the method was simple. It was to go. It was to make it was to baptise and it was to teach people. And that is outlined in Matthew chapter 28 for us. But he also had a strategy as to how he was going to do that. And we find that in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 8. And this is what it says in my former book, Theophilus, Luke writing, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, 
he had chosen. After suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard him speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and he asked, and, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? My friends, you see where their focus was. Their focus was that Israel would be um, removed from being under the Roman rule at that time. That's where their focus was. But note what he says to them. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And I love this next part. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now note these places, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. You know, sometimes we get it wrong, don't we? We go to the ends of the earth, we want to see the gospel preached there, and we neglect our Jerusalem, don't we? Our own backyard. Now, if I was to ask you this question, what is the message of the Bible? It is God's plan for he's created humanity from eternity past to eternity future. So if someone said to you, what is the, what is the Bible all about? You could actually tell them that. It's God's plan for he's created humanity from eternity past to eternity future. Everything you'll read in the Bible is about how God was going to fix this problem of sin. So you ask, yourself, ask ourselves a question, well, why did God create? God created mankind for his pleasure. And we read that in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Now, the interesting thing is that we are all image bearers of God. We are created in the image of God. Some of us are good image bearers. Others of us are not. And that goes without saying. Regardless of whether or not you belong to a church or you, you've never graced the doorsteps of a church, my Bible tells me that we're all image bearers of God. And so God created mankind for his pleasure. Mankind sinned in Genesis 3. God promised to fix the problem of sin in Genesis 3.15. This promise involved the killing of his son in 2 Corinthians 5.15. So the gospel in a nutshell is this. God creates, mankind sins, God promises to remedy sin. He does this through Abraham's family. Jesus appears on the scene, he dies, he rises from the dead. And through belief in the finished work of the cross of Christ, we can have sins forgiven and a hope of a life to come. Now let me say a little bit about this. Because... Abraham is introduced to us. And if you go back to the Old Testament, in the first 10 chapters of the book of Genesis, you've got God revealing himself to humanity on a universal basis. There was no distinction of tribes, no distinctions of peoples. And remember what he said to Noah and his three sons when they came out of the ark? He said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. They were fruitful, all right, 
and they were multiplied, but they stayed in one place, and that was on the plains of Shinar. And so in total disobedience to God, that's where they remained. So what did God do? God comes down and he confuses the languages in chapter 11. Remember that? And what happens? They couldn't no longer continue to build this great big edifice that they were building. And they dispersed right across the world from that point. That's when I believe my people came to Australia. We haven't been around for 60,000 years. Don't let the anthropologists and the archaeologists tell you that lie. We came from Babel. And when my people came here, they came with their understanding of God. And God allowed their cultures to develop. Now, you might say, well, did God continue to reveal himself to people outside the Abrahamic family? And is there any biblical proof to show that he did? And there is. You go to Exodus chapter 2, you come across a guy by the name of Melchizedek, oh, sorry, guy by the name of Moses' father-in-law, it's Jethro, actually. And Jethro was a priest of Midian. He was a non-Hebrew. Go to Genesis chapter 14, you come across Melchizedek, another guy who was not of Abraham's family. So God, and he was a priest of the Most High, so God was continuing to reveal himself to these people. And so... I, as I read that, I think, well, God is continuing to reveal himself to my people as they come to this country, as they continue to develop their cultures. Now, you might be saying, well, does that mean that all Aboriginal culture is of God? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying like every other culture, it needs to be transformed. And that's what we as the church are encouraged to do, to proclaim the truths of Scripture, the unadulterated Word of God, that as our cultures measure up to that, then it's not, our, it's not the Bible that changes, it is our cultures. And so we need to always remember um, that truth. Now, you know, and I don't have to tell you this, you guys are probably well versed in a lot of this stuff. The followers of Jesus were called Christian and their role was to preach the gospel. And to pre- it was a gospel of hope. They are called to do four things from Matthew's gospel. They were to go, they were to preach, they were to baptise and they were to teach. And so the followers of Jesus then, the church, the ecclesia, the ones that were called out from the throngs of humanity, you and I, We're called out from the throngs of humanity as God's people. We as a church needs, this side of heaven needs to reflect the church on the other side of heaven. And if we're not doing that, then we've got a problem because that's the church that God wants. The church is multi-ethnic. It has no social barriers. There is no gender barriers when it comes to salvation for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the hope of the gospel is that everyone, regardless of their sin, God wants to do a work of grace in their lives 
And we need always to remember that this church is going to be multilingual. If you read uh, in Revelation chapter 17, I think it is, you see people praising God in their own language. And so we need to be aware of that. The church on earth needs to, re- church, uh, needs to reflect the church in heaven. Let me read to you, and you might say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let me read to you Galatians chapter 3, if I can find it here. And this is Paul writing to the, this is Paul writing to the churches throughout southern Galatia. And this is what he says. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. We become the spiritual uh, Abraham or the spiritual seed of Abraham. And that's what Christ died for. He died for you and I. Now, folks, let me spend a bit of time talking about the mission of the church. And I'm glad Sue spoke this morning about being outward looking when it comes to um, doing ministry because I think that that's what the church uh, is to do. And this week I've jumped on the net and I had a look at the various mission organisations, those organisations that are sending people out to proclaim the gospel. And you'll see a list of them up there. I'm not going to go through them. But the four main mission organisations in Australia are these ones. They're the Australian Presbyterian World Mission. There's a Catholic Mission, Church Missionary Society and Bush Church Aid Society. Now, Australian Presbyterian War Mission send people overseas to do ministry. And they do have a little bit of ministry here in Australia as well. Catholic Mission, they do a little bit of ministry around Australia. Church Missionary Society is sending people all over the world all the time. And they do have a presence here in Australia. Bush Church Aid Society, however, that's where their focus is. They're Jerusalem, not to the utmost parts of the world, not to Samaria, but Jerusalem, their own backyard. And so BCA, they're wanting to do a number of things in the space of church. How much time have I got? Seven minutes. Okay, Britt, I'll try and finish it up by then. (laughs) The first thing they want to do is they want to bring the gospel of Christ to the outermost parts of Australia. We are committed to sending messengers so that all Australians, no matter where they live and work, can hear the life-changing message of Christ. The second thing they want to do is they want to develop a new generation of culturally diverse Christian leaders. And we say that we are committed to engaging young people, discipling them in the faith and encouraging them in the ministry so they can lead others to Christ. And thirdly, supporting ministry by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We are committed to working with our First Nations people so that they can serve in ways that are biblically faithful and culturally appropriate. Let me give you a bit of an idea of what this looks like. When I first came to work with BCA, I came on as a field staff worker. And at the time, there was only three Indigenous people working for BCA, and that was about 16 years ago. And over that period of time, I used to meet quite regularly with the national director and him and I would engage in conversations and discussion. And 
it was around some of this stuff here that I'm talking to you guys about today. And anyhow, I did a bit of a job on him, you see. And BCA had always saw Indigenous people as a mission field. And what happened is we turned it on its head. And we said they're not only a mission field, but they can be a mission force. And so that's what BCA does. You know, people have said if you change the way someone thinks up here, then you'll change the way in which they work. And BCA has changed the way in which they think about mission. So no longer do they see Aboriginal people as a mission field, but as a mission force. And so what they did is they've changed the way in which they do a lot of things. The first thing they did is they provided me with a job, so, <laughs> uh, which I'm thankful for. And I've been working with BCA and its boards and so forth and so on to help them think through what Indigenous ministry can look like. So over the past six years, we've, had a num we've employed a number of Aboriginal people in ministry to work amongst their own people, and we'll, you'll, you'll get to meet some of those in a minute. Now, the next thing the BCA is wanting to do is planting and renewing sustainable churches. We are committed to establishing vibrant and outward-looking gatherings of Christ's people, equipping local leaders for fruitful ministry. We are committed to supporting Christians on the ground so they can be salt and light of Christ. And the last one is providing care in Christ's name. We are committed to serving hurting people in times of crisis and through ongoing Christ-centred pastoral care. Friends, that's what BCA is about. Let me introduce you to some of our Indigenous staff. We'll put the first one up. See that bloke? He looks like me, eh? If I took my teeth out, I've got false teeth there too. <laughs> him and I will look exactly the same. And so, yeah, we, him and I always have a joke that, yeah, him and I are twins. But that's Jack Haradine. About 15 years ago, Kathy and I served with BCA out of Broken Hill, went out there to plant a church. We were asked to go there because we planted a church in Mount Druitt. And uh, when uh, we were about 10 years into that, and we believe we got the church to a point where it could function independent of us. So we were asked to go to Broken Hill, and so that's what we did for 10 years. And then when the national director asked me to take on this role that I'm in now, we needed someone to take on the ministry. Now, Jack Haradine uh, is a lovely, godly brother, and I knew him from a while ago, so I approached him to see whether or not he, he wanted to work with BCA. And so Jack is now at a broken hill continuing the work that we started in that church plant uh, out there. And then the next one is uh, George and Carmel Ferguson. And they're working at Walgett. Anyone been to Walgett? Did you know just down the road from Walgett, there's a little place called, um, not even a data. Um, it was, and these guys reach out to there. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Um, but it was voted a number of years ago as the most boringest place in Australia. <laughs> Gadooga, that's it. And so, um, yeah, so these guys go, there's, there's hardly anything there. I came through to Gadooga the other day, actually. And so these guys are ministering in Walgett. They look after Colorado Bry. Uh, they visit Lightning Ridge from time to time. There's, we've got other BCA field staff up there. And then Gadooga. So these guys have been serving 
there in Walgett now for the past two years, and so that's exciting. The real exciting thing about BCA is that we're starting to think about training and equipping people to do ministry. And this guy here is Ashley Garlett. Have we got any single ladies in the church? <laughs> now, Ash is a great guy, loves the Lord, has a desire to uh, proclaim the message of the gospel. He, he understands that uh, his relationship with God is, is something that he wants to share with others. And so Ashley is at St. Peter's in South Tamworth. And uh, so you could be praying. We're going to get Sue and, and uh, Britt up in a minute to pray for these guys. And then lastly, we've got Dennis and Velda Taylor. And so not only are we want to see young people raised up, but we want to see them trained. And these guys have been given responsibility to uh, source training material and then implement it at a local church level. And so you could be praying for them. Now, just in closing, let me tell you a bit of a story. One of the areas that BCA support and support well is in the Territory. We've got two workers uh, that work in Darwin. One is Naomi Island, the Reverend Naomi Island. Great lady, good friend of ours. We've known her for years. Um, And Naomi uh, does a lot of work amongst the Aboriginal communities up there. And so her role is to train people in ministry. So she goes to little communities like Nooker and I don't even know the names of half of them. But she goes and she travels and she teaches and she uh, uh, helps people think through how they can proclaim the gospel in a culturally appropriate way. And uh, Naomi is a non-Aboriginal person. And I say that because people don't respond to ethnicity when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. They respond to genuine love, concern and compassion and we need to remember that all the time. I have people often ask me, you know, what, what can we do to reach Aboriginal people? And I look at them and I go, oh, really? Go and visit them, that might help. Go and develop a relationship. Go and say good day. Get out of your comfort zones and walk across the room to uh, talk to other people. You know, sometimes we don't want to do that, do we? Um, and so... We need to do that if we want to develop um, ministries amongst Indigenous people. And Naomi's doing that, and she's doing a great job uh, of it. And so there's Naomi there, but there's another um, couple there, um, and they're the, they're the dean of students at uh, Nungalinya College. So we'll have a linguistics test a bit later on, these guys will say this. But Nungalinya College, it's a college that was set up uh, back in the early 70s for people, um, tribal people, traditional people, to come and learn skills that they can use in ministries back in their own communities. And so they do this by block studies. So they might come out of their communities for four weeks, they'll live in the community together at Nungalinya, and then they're taught things like the Bible, they're taught things like uh, how to lead services, how to, you know, they get some musos in there, so they're learning new songs all the time. Um, they, they learn media, how to use a video camera, how to put together a video story, and that type of thing. Now, Nungalinya is, you know, we talk about populations of students in colleges. Nungalinya has about 300 students. And when I look at that number, I'm fascinated by it. Now, they're not teaching a degree course, not by any stretch of the imagination, but they are teaching people where they are at. And it's exciting. They get to take what they're learning back to their own communities 
and then use it. And that is exciting for us. Now, we get involved. Nungalinya is not an Anglican college. It is what, it's an ecumenical college. So there's Anglicans involved, there's Catholics involved, there's Uniting Churches involved. And by the way, BCA is not an Anglican organisation. There's nothing legally tying BCA to the Anglican Church. But currently that's the sandpit they play in. And so we, the uh, executive, are looking and exploring ways in which uh, BCA can... uh, work with other denominations, other churches, and Nungalinya is just typical uh, of that. So that's one good news story, and there's, there's others as well, and uh, I'm not going to... Look, I'm already three minutes over, Brett. But what, we, what we're going to do, um, I'm going to ask Brett and Sue to come up, and if they would pray for the ministry of BCA, and while they're doing that, let me just... If you want to know more about the work of BCA, there's newsletters uh, out there, um, and as well as a prayer diary. If you want to get on the mailing list for these things, you can get um, Arts BCA to uh, provide you on, with daily prayer notes into your email, uh, email every day. Um, and you can see here, look, let me show you something. Look at that good-looking bloke there. So they're our prayer notes, for, uh, and they're sent out every quarter. Um, and so, yeah, avail yourself of that. Jump on there, grab one of these, and then you can get online and... Awesome. Thank you, Neville. Can you join me in thanking Neville? So we're going to pray for BCA, but just before we do, I just want to pick up on what Neville was saying about um, the way that BCA no longer see a mission field, but a mission force. And I love that so much. And I really think that it's relevant for all of us because have you ever looked at someone who doesn't yet know God and you just think, man, you are going to be a force to be reckoned with once you know Jesus. And so when we shift our perspective from just seeing people who need God's love, but actually, I want you on our team. I want you on Team Jesus that is going to be extending God's kingdom across the world. And my background is in international development. And so uh, we we call it ABCD, Asset-Based Community Development. And it's recognising that communities already have so many assets and so many strengths that they can contribute to transform their community. And I really think that that applies um, when we're thinking about communities who are going to transform their own community for the love of God once they know God's love. And so I want to pray uh, for BCA and the communities that they're working in today. But I also want to encourage each one of us to think about the community that's around us. It might be our workplace or our sports club or our neighbourhood and to think about the way we can not only see them as people who need the love of God but also how we can actually bring them um, along on the journey to see the strengths that they have and that they can contribute into the kingdom of God once they know him and once they're part of this family. So um, if you feel comfortable I'd like you to stretch out your hands and we're going to pray for Neville. God, I thank you for what we've heard today, Lord, and I thank you for the way that you are working right across the world and and you tell us to go into all the nations and that includes the nation of Australia, Lord, and I thank you for the work that BCA and their partner organisations are doing across Australia. 
We pray firstly for Neville and his wife, Lord. We thank you for their commitment to this ministry over so many years. We pray a blessing on their family and on uh, the future of their work, Lord. We pray for fresh, uh, fresh excitement and encouragement and vision for what you're doing, uh, both through BCA and through their own lives, Lord. And we pray specifically for the field workers that we heard about today, Lord. We pray for Lil and Jack in Broken Hill. We pray for Carmel and George in Walgett. We pray for Ashley, the trainee in Tamworth. And we pray for Dennis and Valdar in Perth at the training college. We pray a, pray a blessing on them and their ministry, Father. We pray uh, that you'll provide them with the resources that they need, the financial resources, Lord, but also the team that you're going to raise up around them who will continue to do the work, Father. And we pray for that transformation that is going to happen through communities right across Australia as a result of this work, Lord. We pray that as um, they're transformed with God's love, Lord, that you will also empower them to then use their gifts and uh, their assets and their resources that you have given each one of us um, to continue to extend your kingdom, Lord. And I pray for each one of us sitting here today, Father. I thank you that we all have our own communities around us, Father, and I pray that we won't just think about the work that's happening out there, Father, but that we'll think about our own lives and how we can also see the mission force that is right around us through uh, the people that you have made and you've put in each of our lives, Father. So we thank you for today, Lord. We pray a blessing on Neville as he goes now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.